Good morning, friends. Good morning. Um, the energy in here is life-affirming this morning. I don't know. I just have to comment. And also, I have to comment on um, No Alarms, like Radiohead as the opening music was like, had one of those moments where you're like, I love being Unitarian Universalist. <laughs> like, I love this. So I just, I just had to mention that. It was really wonderful. Um, for those of you who I've not met before, because there's several faces here that I've not seen before, um, just so you know, my name is Rachel Rogers. I've been blessed to visit here a couple times a quarter for the past few years. I use the, uh, she and they pronouns. Um, it's my absolute joy to be with you this morning. Um, here at the end of summer, um, this very hot, hot summer. Yesterday I was at the Tomato Fest in East Nashville where I live and I thought I was going to melt. Um, but we made it through and the storm came and the energy shifted a little bit. But still, it was the first week after school had started. Um, our summer vacations are wrapping up. Our kids are putting on their backpacks. And I'm thinking about spending some time focusing on the magic we can conjure when we intentionally infuse moments of connection and reverence and gratitude into these new and busy days. I think it's a simple concept, really, um, but as we enter into the hustle and bustle of the school year and the new church year, it can be more difficult than you might think if you're not being intentional. So yes, it's the time of year that has me thinking about this. As the parent of small kids, one, as I mentioned, started kindergarten this past week. And I know for many in this room, the school year as a teacher or as a student is revving up for you as well. This time of year for me actually feels more like the new year than like the first week of January. As we shake off those looser summer routines and pick up the fall ones, this sense of normalcy resumes. And for me, at least at first, it feels just as comforting as it feels fresh. Even if it's been decades since you've been to school or ushered your children off into their classrooms, I can imagine it's not hard to recall the energy of newness that comes with a fresh notebook or a set of pencils, the cheerful anxiety of picking out your first day of school outfit, or deciding in those last weeks of summer, this was me as an overly thoughtful kid, who I wanted to be this year. <laughs> this time of year feels alive to me. Like the current of our responsibilities in the world are about to sweep us away, but we're also going to get the chance to do better this year than we did in the last. To actualize goals we've set before us to, like I said, try on new versions of ourselves. These first few weeks of school and of our new church years that follow that same cycle, they have this magic to them. I can't deny it. And I feel so thankful for the opportunity to plunge into the freshness of it all. I'm always grasping for that clean slate feeling. This year, I always believe, is going to be great. But I can't help but want to take a deep breath here because describing this feeling that I may actually be clinging to just a little bit now, only one weekend, has me very much aware of those sets of feelings that can sweep in next maybe three weeks, six weeks after the school year starts, or maybe five days after the school year starts. Because typically, that's all the time, if even less than that, that it can take for that newness and that sensing of possibility to be replaced by a bit of lightweight despondency that comes with the slog of routine and obligations. It can be depressing, it can be a little bit maddening, how quickly we forget to focus on possibility and start to maybe resent a little bit what feels like that inescapable calendar 
of places you have to be, things you have to do, homework you check, have to check off, dinners you have to make, lunches you have to pack, all the things. And that reminds me of this feeling, this is like a double whammy really of emotion because first now we're sensing this frustration and irritation with that mundane nature of our routine but then we also, because we are feeling that, can get hit with the shame and disappointment in ourselves for not creating that shiny new existence that we just were dreaming up two weeks ago. Buddhist psychologist and teacher Tara Brock talks about this type of experience as the second arrow. First, we feel bad about something, and then we feel bad about feeling bad about something, right? That unhappiness compounds itself. So this year, as I've contemplated this upcoming season and what may feel like the inevitability of failure to succeed, 43 years old, I keep not quite hanging on to it, I've been trying to put a bit of a safety plan in place to try to one, shield myself from that painful second arrow, and two, to try to identify some achievable actions that I can take to try and preserve that feeling of wonder and aliveness that comes with new seasons such as these. So the title of today's sermon is Blessed Habits and Sacred Routines. I want to spend some time thinking about how we may fashion those things, how we might transform what has so often felt like the mundane pepper into a life, excuse me, peppered with beauty, awe, and connection to spirit. And what if we thought of this transformation as a means to combat the all-too-often feeling we have of being stuck in a rut? What could it look like to prolong the periods where we were overcome by gratitude, excitement, and wonder? So, to enter into this exercise, uh, the first thing I'm going to do is describe a day to you, um, one that is inspired by my own busy routine, to give you an idea of what I'm imagining could be possible. First, let's start with the actual, how it is now. So come with me on this journey of busyness. You are five weeks into the school year. It's 6.30 in the morning. Your child is expected at school drop-off in an hour and 15 minutes, and you are expected at the office shortly thereafter. Right now, your very energetic one-year-old dog is jumping up on your hip, trying to remind you that they need a walk while you're trying to put lunches together. While you answer the precious and endless questions of your three-year-old, you're also thinking about the 9 a.m. presentation you have at work that you feel slightly underprepared for. You'd meant to get up at five this morning to have a little bit of time for yourself to get ready for that before the, quiet, before the hectic day started, but you ended up not able to sleep all that well last night, and so you slept until six instead. So lazy, I slept until six, not five. <sighs> Put the dishes in the sink, as everyone finishes their breakfast and you sigh because you hate leaving dirty stuff in the sink during the day for fear of flies in the kitchen, but the dishwasher is still full of clean dishes that were washed the night before, and so that's not happening today. You do end up getting in 15 minutes to walk the dog, which is great for them and for you, but as you circle the block with them, you end up playing tug of war with their leash as they try to stop and sniff everything every 15 feet, and you've only got so much time to get them to go to the bathroom. So then you go to work. I'm not going to go into that. That's way too boring. But afterwards, you're due for dinner with your in-laws, which is great. But they live across town, which means you're going to be sitting in traffic as you leave for work that day. And you're anticipating that when you join back up with your family for what will ultimately be a dinner that's a little later than what your kids are used to, people will be grumpy and maybe a little hangry. And you'll need to step out of work mode and straight back into parent mode so quickly that you'll neglect to spend one moment simply taking a breath. <sighs> and reflecting on what happened today. 
By the time the kids are in bed that night, it's already nine. You have about an hour to play with before your choice not to go to bed starts to interfere with the amount of sleep you'll get that night. Anybody do the thing you negotiate with yourself? If I stay up till 10.30 and then I get up at 5.30, that's seven hours of, fine. That's me every single night. You have to decide, like, are you going to turn on the TV and relax a little bit with your partner, or do you go straighten up the kitchen and the living room that are regularly destroyed by the day's activities? So, you, you know, so t tomorrow maybe the dishes go in the dishwasher and not in the sink. Drifting off to sleep that night isn't as hard as it was last night because you're exhausted. But it does occur to you as you turn off the light that while the day was good overall and tasks were accomplished, you don't quite feel like you've lived it as much as you've survived it. And you wonder how maybe tomorrow you could do things all just a little bit differently, a little more connected. At the end of a day like this, I'm typically wishing for a few things. I wish I had time to go to the gym. I wish I had fit in 20 minutes at some point to meditate. I wish I had been able to spend more time looking ahead and planning my days. I wish I had been less distracted. I wish I'd been more thoughtful about what I'd eaten instead of going for what was convenient. I wish I'd read a few pages of that book that's been languishing on my nightstand. I wish that I'd spent more time playing with my kids. I wish, I wish, I wish. I wish for so many things that sound like wishing for more time. And when I force myself to stop and think about what it is I really, truly long for, the answer that comes up for me more often than not is that I don't need more time necessarily but I'm wishing for more space, more space in my mind that feels free, more space for connection, contemplation, for gratitude, space for a little more peace. So when I think about how to tackle this problem of more space or more peace, the most logical idea that comes to me most of the time is that I need less commitments. I need a less busy schedule. Maybe I should be volunteering less at church. Maybe I should be less ambitious at work. Maybe I should learn how to manage my time more effectively so I can get more done faster. Ew. <laughs> and therefore ending up spending more time with my kids. Time management's evil, guys. Like, you don't have time. Like, you're doing great. Like, that's just a shame cycle for me, right? So I start to audit my days and my responsibilities. Like, what can I cut? The truth is, nothing rises to the top is something I don't want to be doing. There's a reason I said yes to it in the first place. These things bring joy into my life. I love my involvement in my community. I am proud of the work that I do at my job and the way that it provides for my family. I don't want to give up any hobbies, no matter how little I'm able to get to them, because they help ground me and they give me meaning in my life. Days like the one I described, they're not bad days. They're just hectic days and days where there's no spare time and no intention being made to check in with myself and my spirit, those days leave me more exhausted than satisfied. But if I'm not gonna try and manage my time any better than I'm already doing now, and I'm unwilling to cut out any of the responsibilities or the appointments on my calendar that leave me longing for more space, then how? How can I lift out of the mundane, this goal I've put before me, and back into this mindset of possibility and joy? Now my answer to this, at first blush, may sound like something else that needs more time commitment. That's not what I'm trying to do. Especially since I mentioned that longing for just 20 minutes for a seated meditation practice, which is a pie in the sky goal if you have a three-year-old, a puppy, and a five-year-old. Like, if you're on the floor, you belong to them. Like, you, you don't belong to anyone else. 
But even so, spiritual practice is still my answer here. It's just spiritual practice in shorter, more intentional bursts. It's a mindfulness practice for me, a prayer practice, and a gratitude practice interspersed in the form of habits throughout my routine that help keep me connected to spirit and to my values and to help me on my hardest days when I am blessed to be able to do so, lift myself out of the mundane. So I'm going to rewind a little bit. I'm not going to go through that whole crazy day, but I do want to now describe some of the practices that I do my best daily to intersperse to help describe what I mean. So during that hectic morning when my dog Posey was begging me for a walk, I was also making lunches for our kids while my wife is getting them dressed for the day. So as I prepare my kids' meals, a habit I developed last year during the school year was to integrate a blessing into the process that I repeat every time I prepare their meals. It's quick, it's simple, and it's full of my highest hopes for them. As I tuck their sandwiches into their lunchbox or slice their strawberries, I made a habit to say this to myself. May their bodies and souls be nourished. May they be happy, curious, and kind. In that moment, I've made space to send both love to my children and also to remind myself of the life I am working to provide for them. I have also reminded myself of what I want for me and during this coming day. Happy, curious, kind. In a way, I've said a prayer for the world. Later, when I'm pulling the dog along on their walk, there's another practice. This is a newer one for me that I've integrated since I read the book Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. I'm guessing there's at least one other person that has that book on their shelves. Yeah. This is another simple one. It's another line of self-talk. It's an offering to the universe. This one reminds me of our seventh principle, affirming and promoting respect for the interdependent web of all existence. The practice is whenever I see or hear an animal on our walk, the first thing that my brain wants to do is be annoyed because that means Posey is going this way when I'm trying to go this way, right? And we live in the city, so another animal usually means another dog, a squirrel, a bird, sometimes a rabbit in someone's front yard, which is the best. I work to think to myself, someone else is sharing this path. If a bird is flying overhead, I think someone is flying past us. So the practice here is to switch how I address the animal to being something or an it into someone. It's actually a pretty major difference. The choice to address them as I would another human helps me make a conscious shift to respect those animals as part of the interconnected web, as I mentioned, and also to help remind me, even if I've only got these 15 minutes outside, <laughs> that I exist in a vast and abundant world full of vibrancy and life. I could go on about this practice for like a full sermon, so I don't have time to spend there anymore, but just think about that. Next time you're outside, next time you hear a bird chirping, someone else is here. Next time you see a dog, a deer running into the, into the woods on the greenway, someone else is on this path. You can open your heart. So let's move another one, another example, later in the day. So I mentioned in my day-long scenario that I would be driving across town to have dinner with my in-laws and that traffic would be involved. Always a good opportunity for spiritual practice, traffic. It's interesting for me, I live in Nashville, this is a spiritual challenge for me. <laughs> Sitting in your car by yourself, yet side by side by, with so many others in those bubbles of your vehicles, there's a lot of good metaphor there, right? Like you're next to each other but in this armor around them. You're often angry or frustrated when you're stuck sitting still, right? You want to move forward or you want to be 
with someone else, and this other person, it seems blind to your need. How can they be so blind? It's funny. You just imagine, don't they know I'm in a hurry? So are they. They won't let you merge when you've had your blinker on for five minutes. That one makes me crazy. I can't profess, profess that I'm very good at staying zen in heavy traffic. But I have found a way that helps connect me when traffic is so heavy that I find myself fully sitting still. And my practice is to glance into the window of the car next to me and to take in the face of the person I see. And in one brief moment, I do my best to take in their humanity and the fullness of it. I imagined what we all know to be true, but we rarely take the time to contemplate, which is this stranger that I see in this car next to me inside their bubble has a life just as full and complicated as mine. They have love and frustrations and obligations and habits and hobbies just as I do, and they are just as worthy of love and compassion as anyone else. It starts as curiosity. Wow, isn't it fascinating? I don't know that person. I'll never see them again. Their world is just as full as mine. And it leads straight to a compassion practice. This is one of my favorites. And it never senses to wow me either. It's just like, I'm just like, it's wild. Like every single one of us. I know how big my world is. There's is just as bad. It's crazy. It's the multiverse. It's here all around us. It is. This is just another small practice in recognizing the vastness of our world and my small but important place in it. I'll mention one more practice. And this happens when I lay, bed, lay down in bed at night. I've been doing this one for several years. I learned this one from a dear friend who battled cancer for a very long time. And her body had been a source of pain and disappointment to her at times. And she taught me that she had combated her anger at her body and her frustration at sometimes having to be more still than she wanted to be by cultivating a gratitude practice for her body and all the wonderful things that it allowed for her to do in the day. Thank you for my feet, she would say, for all the steps you have allowed me to take on this beautiful earth. Thank you for my back, for holding me up and giving me the strength to carry my children. As my day winds down and my body starts setting off alarms throughout my joints as I settle into rest, letting me know what parts of my body are exhausted or what parts need the most comfort, I work to offer the same practice. Thanking my body for the day it has carried me through, for giving me another day to begin again, and explore possibilities. So those are just some examples, and I look forward later to hopefully hearing some of yours, because I know they exist in this room. An integration of these practices, they come for you over time. For me, they evolve from time to time, but most feel entrenched in my spirit at this point. I have done my best to form habits around them, the same way that I form habits to take regular medication or to put coffee on first thing in the morning. And while they don't solve all my problems or always raise me out of my disappointment over the stress in my life and my days that feel tinged with the mundane, they do serve as both anchors and buoys, grounding me in my values and lifting my spirit. So my hope for you today is that you've heard something in my words that has you looking ahead, either at this season or even this week, as an opportunity for newness and possibility. Also that you've been able to find at least a moment of compassion for yourself around those times when you let yourself down by not embracing life the way you had hoped you would in these inevitable endless moments where, where we forget presence and just get lost in the swirl. Have compassion for yourself. We are all doing it right alongside you. I also hope that you'll take some time this week to look at moments in your day where you can integrate intention or spirit. 
and create space for your heart that you may not have found before. That you may stack more and more spiritual habits into your routines that become as automatic as taking a breath. Because while your life is surely full and hectic and stress-filled, and I honor that reality for you as I do for myself, it is also ripe with abundance and worthy of gratitude and praise. Our ability to bless our routines, to find the sacred in the everyday is a gift. I pray that each of you find opportunities to cherish that gift as you take on your days, both the exciting ones and the ordinary ones. May we lift ourselves up as we lift each other up, and may we spend more minutes filled with awe, connection, and gratitude. May it be so.